We are in Mark chapter 3, and in this text today, we're going to see a Messiah who's in control. He was never out of control. He always knew. Even though the religious leaders were trying to trap him, people were coming against him, he was always one step ahead of them. He knew because God revealed to him, he revealed to him things that were going on and he knew when to leave, he knew when to stay. Like when he was at Nazareth, he walked right through the crowd, even though everybody in the crowd wanted to kill him. Hugo, what if I put you in the middle of a bunch of angry people that were angry at you and they wanted to kill you? And I said, okay, just walk right through them. <laughs> Probably ain't going to happen, right? So, and, and remember, Mark's gospel is regarded uh, as the first gospel written, written from Peter's account. And the key to it is in Mark 1 where it says, the beginning of the euangelion, remember that key word means king, uh, coronated king, born, or king, military victory. That's really what that word good news, euangelion, gospel means. But it says the beginning of the euangelion of... Jesus Christ, who? The Son of God. The Son of God. He was deity. He was no ordinary servant of God. He was the Son of God. He wasn't like a Moses. He wasn't like Elijah. He was deity. He created Moses. He created Elijah. And so, in chapter 1, he gives his message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, repent, believe, follow. We went through all that. And then we see, going into chapter 2, what happens is we see these healings. He heals a leper at the end of chapter 1. He heals a paralytic. He heals people that had demons. So we see his authority... And, and not only his authority, but his claim to deity because he said, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic. Only God can forgive sins. So he himself is making a claim. And, and last week we saw the Pharisees continue down this road of doubting him as the Messiah, the promised one. Remember, they were already getting upset that he's saying, I can forgive your sins, that he's healing on Sunday. And now he's getting on to his followers saying, you guys don't even respect the Sabbath, which was their high holy day in the way they ex- kind of displayed their external holiness by being the enforcers of that. The Pharisees were basically taking center stage as they moved Jesus toward the cross. And remember, they took the Scriptures out of the hands of everyday people and put it in the hands of the religious professionals. And at the end of last week, remember what the last verse said? It said, the Pharisees partnered with who? The Herodians. The Herodians were political. They were a political action group, basically. The Pharisees represented the religious zealots, the religious people. And they wanted to do what with Jesus? Why did they partner? What were they partnering? Remember what it said in the text? They partnered to what? They wanted to destroy Him. 
It doesn't just say kill, destroy him. Why? Well, his popularity was increasing and their power was decreasing. It's the way it always is. So this week, we see Jesus withdraw from the religious professionals and go to the regular people with this message of hope and redemption. And he calls and enables 12 ordinary men to be his authoritative representatives to take his message to the world. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but you're here today in this room to hear the truth of God taught because of the ministry of these 12 ordinary men. Take them away, what happens? Yeah, Jesus chose them to be his representatives. And we're going to see that there was nothing special about them except what he made them. And so, so often, you know what I hear? A lot of times, I'll hear people say, I can't do that. Hey, I want you to go with me to India. I can't do that. I can't teach. I can't preach. I can't do anything. Do you think the disciples were qualified to preach? Do you think I'm qualified to preach? If you what well, no, I'm not really Amos. If you look at my background, I'm a murderer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I covet. But I'm forgiven and I'm his. The only thing that qualifies me is I represent him. I tell what I see, I tell what I experience, and I tell what he tells me to say. In His Word. This is His Word. This is His truth. My opinion about His Word means squat. I hope you understand that when I sit up here and I'm giving you anything from His Word, I'm doing my best to communicate what the original writer intended to communicate to the original listener. And then we extrapolate a principle from that, but I pray every time, just like I prayed this morning, for today and last night for today, that God's Spirit would refine whatever comes through this mouth so that whatever He wants you to hear from this is what you'll get. And that's the way it should be. And so God used these 12 men. And so in today, today's text, we're going to see how He continues to reveal this Messiah to us and different things about Him. And today He's going to reveal a Messiah whose works confirm His deity. His works, what He does, that's why people want to see Him. His works confirm His deity. Second, we're going to see a Messiah whose word controls His revelation. In other words, if he says stop, you stop. If he says speak, you speak. He's the one in charge of who hears about him. Not man, he is. Not demons, he is. And we're going to see that in the text. Third, he's a Messiah whose will, his will, chooses his messengers, his disciples. His will what he wants, not what we want. We don't decide to be his messengers. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, the man who builds it labors in vain. 
So His will chooses who speaks for Him. And we're going to see that in the text. And finally, we're going to see a Messiah whose ways confound His family. His ways, the, his, his ways were not appreciated very much all the time by His family. And if you follow Jesus long enough, I can promise you, your family's going to look at you like you're crazy when you're doing some things He calls you to do. Absolutely. You're going to see that. So that's, that's really the outline. He's a Messiah whose works confirm His deity. He's a Messiah whose word controls His revelation. He's a Messiah whose will chooses His disciples or messengers. And he's a disciple. I mean, he's a Messiah whose ways confound his family. So let's read the text, starting in Mark chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. These are the words of God. He withdrew. First thing it says, verse 7, Jesus withdrew. Why? What happened in verse 6? They wanted to kill him. He withdrew. Why? Because he was afraid? No, because it wasn't his time. Would anybody say that Jesus was afraid to die? No, he willingly subjected himself. But it was his time. Make no mistake, he was in control the whole time. So he withdrew from the religious leaders. This is a, what one professor calls a pivot point. It's a pivot point in ministry. And because what's been going on is Jesus has been healing. He said to the leper, go to the priest. Do what Moses told you to do. Show them. Messiah's here. He stood up in the synagogue. Today this has been fulfilled in your presence. And they wanted to kill Him. He's had four confrontations with the Pharisees at least 
four recorded so far we've dealt with in Mark. None of them went well. The religious leaders didn't like him. He was a threat to their power. And so they wanted to kill him, and so he withdrew. He moves from the leaders to the sheep. And it says, a great crowd. A great crowd. They think that it was thousands of people coming to him at this point. I don't care if it's back then or now. You get thousands of people coming around you, that's a lot of people for just him and a few followers. It's hard to maintain control. So they were pressing in on him. So what he did is, uh, you may have seen pictures like this of him standing in a boat and the whole crowd's out there on the shoreline. He said, hey, get a boat ready because they're going to crush me. They were Because what happens is they would just envelop you. It's kind of like Black Friday. You know, you go to Black Friday and everybody's tripping over everybody to get to what they want. All these people are bringing their diseased friends and they're going in there. And they came from Galilee, which is up north, Judea in the south, really kind of the midsection, and then uh, Idumea, which was the desert area in the south. It was also called Edom, which is where Esau settled. It was the, uh, the place of the Edomites. They were mixed between Canaanites and Israelis. Beyond the Jordan... And then Tyre and Sidon was Gentile area. So you had Jewish people, you had mixed people, and you had Gentile people. And it says he had healed many. So all that had diseases were pressing around him. Why? Why were these people flocking to him? Was it because he was Messiah? Or was it because they heard he was a holy man? who was healing people. If we heard that there was a guy who claimed to represent the Creator was healing people, would you be remotely interested in going to see if it was being documented? People were talking about it. People were saying, and these are people you know, Amos. These are friends and family saying, I saw it. This guy was blind his whole life. And he just spoke it and he changed. This guy was a paralytic. This guy was a leper. You bet. Why? Because in every culture, I don't care what culture, third world, first world, it doesn't matter. Man is always reaching out for somebody to tell him why he's here, why there's so many problems and how we can fix those problems, how you can fix my problems. People want healing. Physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing. They're looking for somebody who represents the Creator. And so that's why in every culture you have medicine men, you have witchcraft, uh, you have priests to false idols, philosophers, palm readers, tarot card people, etc., etc., seances. We've got TV shows in this country that have been going on for years where they actually speak to the dead to find out about things. Why? It's because people are trying to figure out the future. They're trying to figure out how to make things right beyond life here on earth. 
God's will, His purpose. And you know, God warned Israel back in Deuteronomy 13. I'm going to read it real quick. Deuteronomy 13. Listen to what He says to His people as they're going in to this land that He gave them And he's telling them, I want you to be different. I want you to be my people. I'm the only one you come to for truth. You don't go to false gods. He says, Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, and he gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. He's saying there's going to be people that are going to do things that are weird, supernatural even, demonically probably. uh, They are, no probably to it. They're demonically manifestations of, in the same way, Pharaoh's guys tried to emulate Moses and Aaron Demons try to emulate what Jesus did. And they do these signs and wonders. And then they try to coax you to go after other gods. He says, For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and all your soul. You shall walk after Yahweh your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. He is the purveyor of truth. In fact, uh, in Deuteronomy 18, just a few chapters later, he pretty much says the same thing. And he lays out for these people, his people, he says, listen, when you come into the land your father or that your Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of the nation. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as a sacrifice, anyone who practices divination or tells fortune or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, someone who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless for, for, before God. For these nations which you're about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. That should put to rest anybody that thinks they ought to be looking at tarot cards, Ouija boards. You know, we laugh, but there are Christians who dabble in that stuff or at least professing Christians. They think it's okay. They think it's okay to consult with Buddha. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus, but I also follow the teachings of Buddha. That's just like the people over in India. They have 300 million gods over there. If I tell them this is a god, and by the way, some of us treat this like a god. You know, that... that sorry, I didn't mean to get that in, but it just came out. <laughs> It's true. This has become our source of truth a lot of times, right? So, he says no. And this is what he says over in Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like 
me from among you, from your brothers. This is Moses speaking. It is to him you shall listen. He's talking about Messiah there. God's going to raise up somebody who has been like me. I spoke for God. God's going to raise up somebody who does that. You know what his name is? It's Messiah. It's Emmanuel, God with us. He will be the mediator between God and man. He will be the one who gives you truth. In fact, He is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He's the Word. And He says, you shall listen to Him. Remember, Well, in Mark 9, we haven't got there yet, but it's the transfiguration. And if you know about the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes up with three of His disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they get up on this mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. They see Him in His glory, which is amazing. And there's two other guys there. Moses and Elijah. And they hear a voice. And the voice says, This is My beloved Son in whom I'm pleased. And then it says what? Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Jesus, guys, is God. Words come out of His mouth. It's truth. He is the final purveyor of truth. He's the final arbiter of truth. He's the final judge of what truth is. Not the U.S. Supreme Court. Not the U.S. government. Not the school system. Not your family. He is. He's the purveyor of truth. And Mark starts off the Gospel. What's the first thing he says? The beginning of the euangelion of Jesus Christ, the what? The Son of God. He's wanting us to know this is deity. He's deity. This is not just some guy. He is the Son of God. And we see the affirmations in chapter 1. Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled in verses 2 and 3. John the Baptist testified to him as the Elijah who would come. God Himself testified when He was baptized. He said, this is My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We see it in His power over Satan when He battles Satan in the temptation. Get away from me, Satan. He had authority over Satan. He preaches the euangelion. We know from verse 14 it says, He preached the euangelion about Himself. The kingdom is here. I'm Messiah. Repent. And remember, that word was only used about kings and emperors. The euangelion. He exercised authority over demons at the end of the chapter. And then last week, we saw He was Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm deity. I am God. And His works conformed it. That's why so many people were coming. They heard. They saw. And so, they came. So His works confirm His deity. Well, what happens is, remember, every time Jesus was in the presence of demons, they couldn't hide. They couldn't be silent. They were terrified. That's the kind of power He wields. And they cried out. They fell. They were inhabiting these people. They fell and they cried out. What? You are the Son of God. 
Well, why would they do that? Well, they're, they, they're stating what they knew. They've known that from the beginning. They knew who Jesus was. And, but they couldn't help themselves. Demons never lie to Jesus. <clears throat> Throughout Scripture, you'll never see them say a falsehood to Jesus. They will lie to us. But they couldn't lie to Him. And so they stated, you are the Son of God. And then what does Jesus say? It says in verse 12, He strictly ordered them not to make Him known. Why? Well, why wouldn't He want everybody to know? They're, they're saying, I'm the Son of God. Why, why wouldn't He want that? Well, it's because God doesn't entrust His message to demons or false teachers. Only to His messengers. To His Son and His Son's messengers. That's who the message is entrusted to. And so, are there demonic people in the world who will mention the name of Jesus? Yeah, they will. But they're not His messengers. And His Word controls the revelation. Flip over real quick to Matthew 11. Let's read this real quick. Matthew eleven twenty seven. Listen to what the Word of God says here. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. What does all mean? You know what it means in the Greek? All. all. <laughs> it means all. Everything. And no one knows the Son. Who? No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And, here's the connective, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You catch that? Yes. Who chooses to reveal? Jesus. Jesus chooses to reveal to some, not to others. And you go, wait a minute. Why wouldn't He let all the... There's thousands of people around Him. They're saying, you are the Son of God. They're demonic. Because He did not want marketing from demonic people. He didn't want media coming from demonic people. The only people that were going to carry His message were His servants, His people. Not demons. It does. But His Word controls the revelation. If you flip over to Romans 10 real quick, and you've heard this before, I've said this in here before. Romans 10, 17 so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. He controls His revelation. Faith comes by hearing. God has chosen the way He reveals Himself, guys. It's not through writing it in the sky. It's not through signs and wonders. It's through the Word. There's been books written for the last 40 years 
about using signs and wonders to convince people. Do you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? And, and he said, I got five brothers. You know, I, let me go tell them. They'll believe it because, you know, I, if I come back, I'll tell them the truth. And what did he say? If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe somebody coming back from the dead. It's about the word. Because the revelation of the Word is only understood by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can't get to Christ and to God through human reasoning and philosophy. You you can't will somebody through that, that doorway. The only way you get through that doorway is Jesus reveals the truth and the Holy Spirit empowers you to move forward. That's it. That's the only way you get there. So His Word controls His revelation. But you know how people will know His Word? This is how you know. Because He chooses the people. His will chooses the messengers, the disciples. And in verse 13, it says, go back to Mark real quick, Mark chapter 3. He says, He went up on the mountain, how many of you guys were with me when we went to Mount Arbel? Was anybody in here with me? Tim, you went up there, didn't you? That is where they believed the mountain. They're talking about it. It was called the Rabbi's Mountain. And in, in Luke's account, it says he prayed there all night. Have you ever thought about why Jesus needed to pray? He was God. Who's he praying to himself? Have you ever thought about it? Or you just read through that and go, why, he prayed all night? Why? He why? was fully man and it was going to have to go through some horrible physical... Yeah, know, but here he's, pray, he's, here he's not praying about that. Yeah. Here he's praying about the twelve. Yeah. Right. So here's the, here's the thing. Do you know the verse that says he grew in wisdom and stature? If he was omniscient and omnipresent and om, uh, was he? By the way, was he omnipresent as a human? Yes. Yes. No. No. He he was in one place at one time. He couldn't be he couldn't be in Judea or Judea and then Galilee at the same time. He was limited by his own order as the second person of the Trinity when he was a human. He was limited. By his own power. He limited himself to be led by the Spirit and to do miracles by the Spirit. Okay? I didn't really understand this, but when you start reading it and you start seeing it, it, it's true. There were places it says he could do no miracles there because there was no belief. See, miracles were not just for the people, it was to authenticate Him as the messenger and authenticate Him as the Son of God. So He purposely put aside His power, His omniscience, unless the Holy Spirit revealed it to Him. So when He's walking around, yes, He could know your thoughts when the Holy Spirit revealed your thought, His thoughts. 
because he purposely put that power aside while he walked as a human. He never ceased being God. He was always God in character, but he willingly put his power aside. And part of his power was omniscience, omnipresence. I I'd never really thought about that much, to be honest with you. But it makes sense. So when he's up on the mountain praying, he's praying as human Jesus who had put his powers aside. Okay, I'm about to select these guys, Father. So tell me, these guys, these are the ones. All night he prayed. That's how important it was. And so he said, these are going to be my message. By the way, when Moses got the law, you know where he got it? Up on a mountain. When Jesus picked his disciples, he was up on a mountain. And so, God called his messengers of the gospel. And it says, those whom he desired. He didn't, he, he didn't just pick random people. He just say, okay, you 12, come with me. It was those he wanted. Those he wanted. Verse 14 says he appointed 12. He appointed them. It wasn't earned, wasn't deserved. Nobody preaches the gospel because they earn it. You can go to seminary all day long. I can tell you a laundry list of people that got seminary degrees that aren't even in ministry anymore. Because it it's not a profession. This is not my profession. It's a calling. When God calls, He enables. Right? And so, He appointed the twelve, it says, so that they might be with Him. By the way, how many tribes were there in Israel? No coincidence there, right? He picked that number because the 12 tribes of Israel did what? They rejected Him. And so, He says, these are going to be My messengers. Now, Matthew goes into a lot more detail in chapter 10 of Matthew. Luke goes into more detail. But Jesus said, called them, He appointed them to be with Him because they were called to discipleship. But it's Hebrew discipleship, not American discipleship. Hebrew discipleship, remember what there were three core elements to being a Telmed or a Telmedim, plural is the word for disciple in Hebrew. One was community. When you were a disciple, you were brought into a community. This was not something that you just learned up here. It was about being in community. The second element was community around the Scriptures. The Scriptures guided everything. And the third element of Hebrew discipleship was the disciple had a passion to be like the teacher. Now you think about your ideas of American discipleship. For most of us, at least for me, for a long time, it was about knowing what my teacher knew, not being like my teacher. But that's what it would have meant to them. They were with him 24-7, guys. 
And do you know what's interesting is over in Acts chapter 4, when they were arrested, you remember what the leaders said? They said these guys were uneducated, common men, but they recognized they had been with Jesus. And so he sent them out to preach. And what did they preach? Well, here's the thing they preached. First of all, they preached the king has come. Second, they preached that this is his message. Third, they called people to repent, believe, and follow. And fourth, they were authenticated by miracles, supernatural things that only God's people enabled by him could do to affirm the message that they and the teachings that they were doing. And so verse 15 says they had authority to cast out demons. And, you know, I told you earlier, there's been a lot of books on healings, casting out demons and all this stuff. There were really only three times in Scripture where God used supernatural events to authenticate His messengers. Only three times. Moses and Joshua. They did supernatural works to authenticate them to Pharaoh and the people there and Joshua to the people after Moses was gone. Elijah and Elisha, they ushered in the prophets. By the way, when Moses and Joshua had it, it was ushering in the law, right? It was the law. So God was authenticating his messengers as he gave the law. When Elijah and Elisha came, they were authenticated as prophets because the people had rebelled against the law and God wanted to authenticate, I sent these people to call you back. There were other prophets who wrote, but they didn't do the miracles that Elijah and Elisha did because they were the first ones. And then Jesus and his apostles. Those are the only three times. Isaiah did no miracles that we know of. Haggai, no miracles that we know of. Zephaniah, Zechariah, prophets, but no miracles. Jeremiah, no miracles. Have you ever thought about that? When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was up there with Him? Elijah, Moses. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And Jesus, the new covenant. So all these people that are going saying, we've got to have signs and wonders, man, to convert people. You don't see it. You don't see it in Scripture. In fact, Paul, who was an apostle, by the way, Paul says, I was an apostle untimely born, but he was an apostle. His ability to heal seemed to wane because he left Trophimus sick. He told Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach because... Timothy had a stomach problem. Why didn't he just pop his hand on him and heal him? Because it wasn't for that. Paul's miracles authenticated him as a messenger. And this, what we have in the New Testament, was written by eyewitnesses who were apostles or they were authorized by apostles, i.e. Mark by Peter and Luke by Paul. And so we have eyewitness accounts. These were the ones entrusted with the message, guys. And so, 
we see the list. Simon, Peter, James, John. You always see the list the same. Usually it's in groups of four. Peter, James, John, and Andrew in the first group. And then you'll see Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas in the second group. The third group is James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, also known as uh, James, the son, I mean, uh, Judas, the son of James, Simon the Cananean, or the zealot, and then Judas. And these were the men who were entrusted with the responsibility to be as special messengers. Now, when you leave your house, guys, and you want somebody to take care of it, you give them the keys, right? To open and close your door just to make sure in case they need to get in there. And they do that according to your wishes. This is what Jesus did with the disciples in Matthew 16. He said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. What you loose is loosed. What you bind is bound. They held the keys. They were responsible for the New Testament writings we have. So here's a question. Is your church faithful to the written word of the apostles? Because the veracity of the Bible is it's true because they were eyewitnesses accounts. These were all eyewitnesses accounts. Moses, who wrote the, the Old Testament, or he wrote uh, Matthew, uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Elijah and the prophets, Peter, Paul, these were not brilliant philosophers. They weren't even smart guys. They were just guys God used. They weren't the, the wisest and the smartest. God just told them who He was and then uh, He sent them to tell other people who He was and what He wanted people to do. And He authenticated them with supernatural acts. And He says in Acts 1.8 to the apostles, you will be My witnesses. I'll show you who I am and then you will tell others who I am and you teach them to obey. And what did He say in Matthew 28 that they should teach? To obey what? To obey what? All, all His commands. So here's the thing. Our eternal salvation doesn't rest on a philosophy or an ideal. But the direct intervention of God the Creator through His Son, Jesus. Jot down 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5. I'm not going to read it. We know it. Paul says, this is what I gave you as a first importance and, and he gives the gospel and he says 500 men saw Jesus rise again. These things really happened to real people in a real place. And, you know, there have been skeptics throughout time. Nineveh, guys, wasn't even discovered to 1845. So they doubted that it was true because no, they couldn't find any records. And in 1845, they found the ruins and they found it. People doubted Pontius Pilate was a real person until the 1960s they found inscriptions. And if you've been to Israel, you've seen it at Caesarea Maritime. And so what does 1 John 1 say? Three times in that little text, 1 John 1, 1 through 1-4, these things we saw, these things we touched, these were real. And we've written these so that you can know. In John 20, he says, these things were written so that you may believe. So this is not some just made up stuff. It's real. And his messengers have carried that message. And finally, his ways confound his family. We saw the crowd gathered. They couldn't eat. And the family went to seize him, said he's out of his mind. And, and they were just trying to protect him. But your family, if you follow him, they're gonna, there's going to be times. You're, you're doing what? You're leaving the FBI? 
to go to Russia? What? Wait, you're adopting special needs daughters? You, how, you live month to month on support. How are you going to sustain that? I literally had family members tell me I was crazy. But when God calls you to do something, and He makes it clear, and I'll say this, people go, how do you know God wants you to do something? Let me tell you. If your father and your son says, hey, Dad, I don't know what to do. Will you show me? No, you got to figure it out on your own. You're not going to do that. Every time I've asked God to show me what He wants me to do, to affirm it somehow, He has every time. I don't do fleece tests. I just say, God, I want to do what You want me to do. Show me. Affirm it. If this is from You, then I'm all in. If it's not, close the door and show me it's not where you want me. I can say 62 years, as long as I can remember back, every time I've prayed that, every time I've asked Him with a heart that was willing to do what He wanted me to do, He showed it. But if I ask Him like a kid whose dad says, hey, go take out the garbage. What? I don't understand what you want me to do. Well, you take the garbage can, you go out there, and you put it on the road. You take out the garbage. I'm confused. I still don't know. It's because they don't want to do it. So if you don't want to do what God wants to tell you, He he's he's may make you stay in the clouds for a while if you're wrestling. Because you're, you're wanting to go over here and He's saying, no, I really want you over here. And that's happened to me too. So here's the takeaways. One, do I believe Jesus is God? And if so, how does that affect my life? Or does it at all? Do I really believe Jesus is God? He's deity. And if so, how is that really impacting my life? Second, God doesn't need any affirmation from false teachers or from demons. So just because somebody talks about Jesus doesn't mean they do so with His authority. And we live in a world where a lot of people may throw that name out but they may not be representing Him. So you need to know, this is the guide. Does it line up with Scripture? Is it going according to His Word? Third, God isn't looking for the smartest, the most talented to be His messengers. He calls those whose hearts are tender and trusting like little children. Remember in Matthew 11, I read one verse from 11 a while ago where He says, thank you for revealing this to who? The simple, the ones who are like little children. And then finally, sometimes when you follow Jesus, your family and friends are going to think you lost your mind. It's true. Luke 14, he says, if you don't hate your mother and father, you're not worthy to be my disciple. So be his disciple. We must be willing. The key is, must be willing. Doesn't mean you will, but you must be willing to give up everything for him. Are you? Luke 9.23 says anybody who wants to follow me, he's got to take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. So following him calls for surrender, even when faced with a painful choice of loyalty to family or loyalty to him. We've got to choose Jesus. Hugo, will you close our time, brother? Sure. Uh, Thank you for uh, this afternoon. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your dogs. Father, uh, let your word just 
Let us just listen and Father, let us do what you say us to do. Father, let us just affirm what you want us to do and I guess follow you like a good little kid, Father. Father, I pray that uh, today that we are all just continue to move on and continue to make um, teach your word to other people that listen to it and you will come in and with your spirit we just kind of hear to you, Father. Father, I continue to pray that all the people that are sick, that they just, you know, put your faith in you and you will lead them in the right direction to doctors, to uh, miracles, to just other things in life, Father. Father, just pray for all the widows that um, they have the heart to ask for help and that we'll be willing to listen as well, Father. We pray all this in your name, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.